Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the programs that assists recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Because Melbourne's back in a snap seven-day COVID lockdown, uh, my scheduled guest from Eleanor and Family Groups isn't available for our show today. At short notice, we're able to arrange a Zoom interview with my guest for today, and that's Josette Freeman. Josette is an ambassador for Smart Recovery Australia, and she'll be talking about the Smart Recovery approach and give us some insight into the organisation in Australia and overseas and explain how it works and who can utilise the recovery program. So I'd like to welcome Josette to the show. Hi. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Josette, our usual 12-step recovery format is to talk about what influenced you when you were growing up, when you were exposed to compulsive behaviours, and when you found recovery. But you've come from a quite different background. I understand that you started your career in nursing, then specialised in oncology before studying counselling and working in drug and alcohol before finally moving to smart recovery. You've been a pioneer of smart recovery in Australia for over 16 years. But before we talk about that, can you give us an insight into the path that led you to being involved in smart recovery? Well, it was just pure coincidence. Whatever you call in life, things happen. Serendipity, yeah. Serendipity. And we had moved down to Canberra and I had worked in palliative care in Sydney, moved to Canberra, worked in a hospice down there, which I didn't particularly like, met a doctor at a swimming pool when my children were having swimming lessons and she asked, what do you do and what do you do, et cetera, et cetera. I said, I worked at the hospice. I wasn't really happy. And she said, well, I know at the hospital in drug and alcohol they're looking for staff would you be interested and I thought well that's makes an interesting change so two weeks later I was employed in drug and alcohol in Canberra and then the rest is history well the history then was I worked in drug and alcohol in Canberra and then we moved back to Sydney after five years and I got a job at uh, Sydney St Vincent's Hospital where Dr. Alex Wodak was in charge of the drug and alcohol unit and he was looking for another program in the community that was not a 12-step program. And so he'd heard about Smart Recovery, which was already going in America for about 10 years. And so Joe Gersting, one of the founders of Smart Recovery in America, came out to Sydney and it really started from there. So I was working there at the time. Then they needed someone to manage the Smart Recovery program. And so I put my hand up to do that. And then it just started off from there, really. Okay. Well, do you want to tell us a bit about, you mentioned 
you know, the, the emphasis was not being a 12-step. Why was that, do you know? Uh, yes, it was because a lot of people, I wouldn't say don't like, but it doesn't sit well with them, the 12-step program. So we were looking or Alex was looking for something as an alternative to the 12 steps. So then people, if they didn't like 12 steps, then they had another option, which was smart recovery in the community. So there were the two things. What we actually found, though, was as time, as the years went by, that there were quite a few people that um, decided to go to both. So they'd go to a 12 step, really for the fellowship part of the 12 step, and they would come to Smart Recovery for the practical applications of the program. Yeah, that, that sounds understandable in real terms. Yeah, I guess it's um, it does have different dimensions in, in recovery and different people need different support. So how did you get involved? You know, how did you start the program in Australia? You know, what was the, the basis for that? Uh, well, it, as I said, it started at St Vincent's and then at that particular time, this was around 2004 or so, we were down to about 1.3 drug and alcohol counsellors for the whole of the eastern suburbs area in King's Cross. So it was a very large area and we just couldn't keep up with the demand. So... What we did is that we started a group where you can have many, many people in a group and we could offer a service immediately rather than someone coming to us for help and saying, oh, okay, we'll put you on the waiting list and see you in six weeks' time because people want help immediately, if not yesterday. Yeah, that's the nature of the problem. That's right. So we could actually engage people straight away and the thing with Smart Recovery is that we don't need to know people's history. We're very much focused on the here and now. So people can come and say, today I have a drinking problem or gambling or drugs, whatever it is, and I don't need to know what happened to them when they were 10 years old or 20 years old or 30 years old. If they're 50 now, I just want to know what's happened maybe from 49 to 50. Yeah, right. Okay. So my question was sort of around, was the program established in the US and you basically brought out the same model here? Was that, was that how it worked? Uh, yes, it was. And they had a manual and a training manual. So every group has a facilitator who has been trained by Smart Recovery. So it was a matter of of me learning the manual and then training people up in the program. Yeah. So do you use the program yourself? I guess I do, yes, in everyday life because the, the tools and techniques are so practical that, and I say to people in the group, don't just use this for drug and alcohol, use it in every single thing. So if you're unsure about something, do a cost-benefit on it. If something goes wrong that you think may be your fault or is not your fault, then check your beliefs around that. So it's always using the tools. Same with urges. Uh, you know, people get an urge to stay in bed in the morning. People have an urge to yell at somebody. So it's not just 
exactly drug and alcohol related. It's all these other things that are more important. And it's these things that have got out of whack that are actually leading people to alcohol or drugs. Yeah, it's about living, isn't it, in real terms? Yeah. It is. Yeah, maximising your own enjoyment of life. Yes. So I understand with smart recovery, unlike 12-step programs, they advocate for harm minimisation rather than abstinence. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yes. Well, um, I, I was going to say that to you before when you mentioned about coming from America because even though America is actually changing a little bit now, but they were more used as an abstinence-based program, whereas in Australia, because our whole philosophy is harm minimisation, then we use the harm minimisation philosophy. So people, if they come to a group, the choice is theirs. If they want to stop using a substance or whatever it is, or if they want to control, manage, moderate. It's entirely up to them. It's not for me as a facilitator to say you have to stop drinking. Yeah. And the other one is that most 12-step programs are focused on a single aspect like drugs or alcohol or gambling or food addictions. So in Smart Recovery, do you have that same split or do people tend to be together? We don't want it split at all because if you start splitting, then the whole focus then becomes alcohol or food or gambling, whatever. What we focus on in Smart Recovery is the behaviour of concern. So the the behaviour underpins what is going on and those behaviours are usually anxiety, depression, stress, boredom, loneliness or anger. And you find that that people have those things, whether they drink or whether they overeat or whether they gamble, that that's what's underpinning their addiction. Yes. You know, I've I've been involved in interviewing people for about four years about drug and alcohol and gambling and food addictions, Mm -hmm. and it's more and more becoming evident to me that it's an issue with the way we think rather than as you say, the substance. It's The substance is what works for you mm. and people use substance to suppress their, as you say, anxiety or their feelings to be able to cope, That's right. to be able to cope better with it. Yes. No or very, very few people end up with, uh, say, a drinking problem just because they enjoy drinking. It, something's usually led them to that, that they've felt uncomfortable or unhappy or whatever it is, the feelings haven't been good and they need to keep increasing the alcohol to make them feel better. So they don't have to think about those awful feelings. So for most people, if you ask what, what do you get out of drinking or taking drugs or gambling or whatever, it's that feeling of escape. They don't have to think about their problems. And really that's what people are trying to achieve when they drink too much or eat or whatever. Yes, agreed. It it is an escape. But the other aspect of the Smart Recovery Program is your family and friends program. So do you want to talk a bit more about that? I understand you were instrumental in, in its creation. Was it the first in Australia? Did it, did it occur in Australia first? Yeah. 
Well, I honestly can't say it was the first. I don't know what the first one was or whether we were the first because I know different organisations have different, their own family programs, but we put ours along the lines of smart recovery. So we use all the tools and techniques of a normal smart recovery group. But what the program is, is teaching the parents, the carers, whoever might come, or supporters, to manage themselves. And that's probably, as a, from a facilitator's point of view, the hardest part of running a family and friends program because the carer always wants to talk about the person they're caring for or blame them. Like if, you know, Johnny behaved himself and didn't take drugs, then I wouldn't nag or I wouldn't yell or I wouldn't be upset. But this is about you as a carer managing yourself and taking control of yourself. So hopefully by a bit of osmosis, if you change your behaviour, then the other person may change as well. So the idea is not to get the other person into rehab or detox or anything like that. It is to make yourself well again. Because as we know, for carers, if you don't care for the carer, um, what's going to happen then? Yeah, exactly. It's um, yeah, it's it's very destructive being involved with somebody whose behaviour is affecting your life, and you don't feel that you can not do anything. You feel you must do something. Yeah, and and, and a lot of people want to fix the problem, but it's not about fixing the problem. It's about uh, fixing yourself <laughs> first. Yeah, and it's also about understanding the problem. Yeah. Uh, understanding that the other person has a problem and they're using drugs or alcohol to, as a coping mechanism and the family's coping mechanism is to try and control the person, whereas the person who has a problem is using a coping mechanism of trying to control their, you know, their anxiety. Yes. And so it's all about control. Yes, 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 yes. And it sort of goes around in circles and goes nowhere. <laughs> Yes, very fast. That's right. Yes, yes. But we've got a family and friends program. So if anyone listening to this program wants to attend a family and friends program, they're doing a trial and specifically for people who are caring for people that use methamphetamines, but anybody can attend. So if anybody is interested, um, I can give you the details of that. Okay, thank you. Okay, well, so we might take a short break there. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and be part of community-powered radio. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2021. To donate, call 03-9419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon, community-powered radio. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo. 
Desper Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced, Produced by Jan. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how to contact us. June is 3CR Radiothon month. We got through 2020 and survived, and we'd like your help to keep us on air for another year. As COVID-19 is now resurgent in Melbourne, um, it brings back memories of our efforts last year and how relevant they are today. Presenters did the hard yards last year, pre-recording their shows at home so that 3CR staff could continue to broadcast the shows to you each week. It took a lot of effort, but we made it through. This year, help us raise funds so the Living Free Show can continue for another year, to keep 3CR broadcasting our show for another year and to allow our message of hope to continue. So support 3CR's 2021 Radiothon by donating and listen to our Radiothon show on Thursday the 17th of June. Today I'm talking with Joseph Freeman and we're talking about recovery with the help of Smart Recovery Australia. So Joseph, before the break, we're talking about your family and friends program and how that works and some of the tools and techniques you're mentioning. So did you want to sort of talk a bit more about what sort of tools and techniques that are offered in the Family and Friends Program? Well, what's offered in the Family and Friends Program are the same, we use the same tools as what we use in a a normal smart recovery group. So it's things like, uh, because the smart recovery is based on cognitive behavioural therapy, so there are a lot of CBT tools, the cost-benefit analysis, the urge log, the ABCs, which is, looking at people's what triggers people and the beliefs people have around their triggers and how their beliefs determine the outcome, what is going to happen. So that's a really probably the most important tool of it all because it's really about people's beliefs, how they view situations, how they view other people, how they view the world, and quite often those beliefs are a bit skewed and they need to be put back on the right track of, of their thinking or life to prove for them, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've noticed a lot of that relates to, I guess, what you call black and white thinking. Yeah. You know, right and wrong, good and bad. People tend to use those terms rather than different or it's always a, an absolute rather than a, a qualitative sort of measure of being better at best or worst or that sort of thing. And so people in a meeting will be challenged on that. So if people say, you know, I have to go to this wedding, you will challenge the person on that. Why do you have to go? You know, do you want to go or you're choosing to go or, you know, you have to go? And then they realise, well, no, I don't actually have to go to the wedding or if they say, I have to, then I will challenge them on that. 
well, what will happen if you go to the wedding and you get blind drunk and, you know, fall over at the wedding? You know, weigh that up. Is that going to be, you're not going to the wedding, is that going to be worse than making a fool of yourself at the wedding? And so it's getting people to think differently, think outside the box a bit because, as you said, their thinking is often very, very black and white. And they also tend to catastrophize things as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it goes with the territory, I think, because, because so many bad things have happened, everything's, everything's going to go off the rails. It's, yeah. And so it's a facilitator's responsibility, if you like, to challenge people in the group when they speak about these faulty beliefs. Because if you don't challenge them, then they will continue thinking that they're perfectly normal beliefs or thoughts that they have. Yeah. Is that confronting for people to be challenged at that level or are they open to it? I think people probably find it a bit confronting as as well. And it's not at all confronting because when people say, oh, that's so confrontational, what actually they're saying is you've made me feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. And I like it. Yeah, I wish, it, I wish it would go away. Yeah, that's right, yes. Whereas if you challenge people and they're willing to take that on, then it's a great learning experience for them. And some people will say, oh, I've never thought of it that way before. So they're quite open to it. Yeah. I guess that gets back to that aha moment in 12-step recovery when you realise that you are the problem, not everybody else. Yeah. So... Does the same thing happen in smart recovery where people realise that basically they are the problem and they they have the power to do something about it, but they don't realise that? That's right. It's up to them to make choice. And, and SMART stands for self-management and recovery training. So the whole program is geared around getting people to self-manage. So things like, you know, if they get an urge to drink, I'll say, well, if you get an urge which you most likely will, what are you going to do when that happens? Oh, you know, I'll go to a meeting, I'll call a friend, I'll do this, I'll do that. And I'm going, that's all well and good, but what happens if you get an overwhelming urge at 3 o'clock in the morning and you call your friend? I don't think your friend's going to be too happy to be woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning. What else can you do? Oh, I don't know, I don't know. And so you sort of not push them, but you say, just tell me one one small thing that you can do. And invariably people will come up with something and you want really, really simple solutions like change chairs in the room, drink a glass of water, go outside, just really, really simple things. The solutions we do not want to be rocket science. And the more convoluted the plans are, the less likely they are to carry out. <laughs> yes. So it's always gearing rather than relying on meetings or calling people or that sort of thing, which are all good, but we're really trying to get people to self-manage so they're relying on themselves primarily. Yeah, which people eventually do. I think that's allowing people the the time to realise that they can solve their problems, but they just need a little bit of help to get to that point, yeah. So what about participants in a smart recovery meeting? Can participants engage with each other or is it is it the facilitator only? 
No, no, no. Um, we want people to engage with each other. It's an interactive group. It's a mutual aid group. So people are there to help themselves, but also to help each other. So as a facilitator, if you were doing your check-in and you had a particular issue, I would ask you what you were going to do about it, how you would manage it, what plans you can put in place. Then I would put it out to the group. So, for example, say if you were going to a wedding and you didn't want to drink at the wedding and feel like you were going to be tempted, I would say, well, Bill, what will you do when you get to the wedding? You know, what plan would you put in place? If you said... I'll make sure I take a bottle of mineral water with me to the wedding. You've given me something. So I know that you've started to think about it. Then I would put it out to the rest of the group and I would ask what strategies have people put into place when they've gone to a wedding or an event or birthday party, whatever, and they didn't want to drink at that wedding. So you want people to speak from their own experience rather than pointing the finger at you, Bill, and going, Bill, you should do this. Bill, try this. Bill, do that. It's when I go to a social event, this is what I do. So it's coming from their own experience. Yeah. I think if it was a suggestion or a recommendation, it's it's hard to take those things on. Yes. But if it's experience, it can be evaluated and put in context, yeah. And so in Smart Recovery, we talk about having um, everyone putting their solutions on the table in an imaginary basket. So put your solution in and then it's up to the participant to take out of that basket what they think will help them. Mm, Sounds good. Yeah. So I understand there's other support groups that you've started as well. I think the, the ones that I'm aware of is Smart for Youth smart for Indigenous communities and smart inside out for people in correctional facilities. So can you give us a a little insight into how they work? Uh, Yes. Well, Smart for Youth is being evaluated now and the University of Newcastle is doing some work around that. So we're sort of in the process of... we, We did have it a few years ago, but it was quite outdated. So now we're in the process of revamping that. The... Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, it's exactly the same program, Smart Recovery, but it's we have a manual and, again, we're revamping the manual with the University of Wollongong and Indigenous woman is doing her PhD, so she's taken on the Smart Recovery manual, which is fantastic for us, and it's more culturally appropriate for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Just more culturally appropriate than the straight manual. And then the Inside Out program, again, is smart recovery, but it's been added on a bit more. So there's things like um, more in-depth around trauma, how people uh, respond to trauma, um, how people have impulsive behaviours, which a lot of these impulsive behaviours has ended them, ended them up in the correctional system. And uh, there's one more thing. Ang- ang- anger's trauma and impulsiveness are the three main things really that have been added to the program. Yeah, well, I guess a lot of people in 
correctional facilities also have drug, alcohol, or families with drug and alcohol problems as well. Yes. So this is where smart recovery has to be an abstinence program because, you know, you shouldn't be using drugs or drinking or whatever in prison, even though we know that that's not the case, that a lot of people, like I had a guy come to my group the other day because I facilitated a meeting once a week and he came from a detention centre and he said there were more drugs in detention centre inside than outside. So, so therefore, because they're in a confined space, it's more about their day-to-day living. So getting their behaviours under control. So things like if anger. So if they got really angry on the outside, they'd go and use drugs to take away the anger or to make themselves feel better. They don't have that option in prison, supposedly. So it's how they manage that anger so they don't take it out on another, like their cellmate, for example, and end up in even more trouble. So how they can learn skills on how to manage their anger and and other behaviours as well. Yeah. Okay. The other one that I'm aware of too is I I think even before we had COVID you were running online courses as well as face-to-face meetings is that correct? We sort of just started but then once COVID hit we had no choice we had to shut down every face-to-face meeting and we had to go online if we wanted to continue with smart recovery so with that we lost some people because they preferred face-to-face meetings, but then we also gained a lot um, with people that could access Smart Recovery very easily online. And they could be anywhere in Australia or anywhere in the world, really. All you had to do was just go on our website and register for the meeting. Yeah, I think that was the experience of all the recovery groups that I'm aware of, that it went online very quickly. And I know I was involved in a survey in, I think it was the end of 2019. And I think the number of people who went to online groups was less than 1% at that time. Mm. And then a year later, I think it was 99% of people were online, which was just absolutely dramatic. And I think the thing that I became aware of was how many new people that had never been to a the 12-step program had were starting to come to them because they were online and were accessible and they were very anonymous. Well, I, I mean, I guess the downs, I mean, it's good and it's both good and bad is that a lot of people come to the Smart Recovery meeting, but I think they use the meeting as a social activity rather than coming to learn um, how to change their behaviours or work on their behaviours, it was more just checking in with other people. So in that way it's good, but not so good in the other way. Yeah. So have your meetings gone back to predominantly face-to-face? Uh, no, they're still predominantly online, but certainly more meetings are now going back face-to-face. Right. So maybe we could just quickly talk about the number of groups in Australia. What's that sitting at approximately? The online meetings are around 80, I believe. The face-to-face meetings we had around Australia were about 350. 
So we lost some, or we lost quite a few during COVID, but I think those numbers in time will will come back. Yeah, it, it is unusual times, that's for sure. Yes. Okay, awesome. We might take another short break there. 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June, and this year we're asking you to be part of community-powered radio. It's only with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled, and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. 3CR Community Powered Radio. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law, 6pm Tuesdays. This is Living Free on 3CR Digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. And I'm talking with Josette, and we're talking about recovering with the help of Smart Recovery Australia. So, Josette, before the break, we were talking about, you know, the impact of COVID and how a lot of groups have moved online. But I guess I want to concentrate now a bit more on how the meetings or the program works and the role of the facilitator, and also to, I guess, talk a bit about do participants go on to become facilitators? Is there training? All those sorts of things. How a meeting runs is it's a 90-minute group. Well, I should say, first of all, this is not a lifetime commitment. We don't want it to be a lifetime thing. We want people to learn the tools and techniques, learn skills, and then go away and get back into living. But we also want people to come back to a meeting if they start getting a bit wobbly or something else is cropped up in their lives that um, makes them a bit more vulnerable. So a meeting is for 90 minutes and anybody can attend the meeting, whether they've got a drug problem, alcohol, gambling, any any behaviour of concern can come to a meeting. And how it runs is we do a check-in with the person. So for the regulars, it, the check-in would be how was your last week because Smart Recovery only works on a seven-day cycle. So how was your last week? What do you want to focus on today? We want people to be fairly specific when they want to focus on something. So if they say, I want to focus on my drinking, that's a huge, huge topic. Like where do you start with it? So what particularly or specifically around your drinking do you want to focus on? So it might be 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock 
you know, as soon as I get home from work, I go straight to the refrigerator and, and get a drink. So I'd like to stop doing that or work on that time. Or it might be I want to reduce my drinking. And so if people talk about reducing or controlling, we get very specific then. And it's the only time we talk about alcohol, you know, amounts is when people want to control because if they don't have an amount, then they've got nothing to gauge it against. So you'll say to people, I want to control it. The question always is, what does control mean for you? So control, you know, some people say, oh, when I start getting tipsy, I'll stop. Well, (laughs) is that a bottle of whiskey? Is that one glass of wine? Is it what? Or I think I'll, you know, I'll have 10, 10 beers. And so, again, how would you know you've had 10 beers? Oh, I'll count them. But if you're sitting in a bar or a pub or somewhere, the bar lady is going to be taking those glasses away every time you finish one. So how are you going to know you have 10 glasses left? So it's all those practical sort of questions um, and then how are they actually going to do it. So they're, they're very important questions in smart recovery. What are you going to do? But more importantly, how are you going to do it? So people have big ideas, but they have absolutely no idea how to execute their plans. So then you have a discussion part when people have checked in. This is what I want to talk about today. Then we will tease out what that person wants to talk about. And this is where the group discussion comes in. And so the issues really are, you know, about loneliness, anger, peer pressure is a big one when they want to control, how they've done that, where they can seek help for different things. So you want that in the group discussion. So the facilitator never, ever or should never give solutions to the participant. It's up to the group to give those solutions. And and really most people know what they should be doing or where to get help, but sometimes they just choose not to. And then at the end, we do a check. So during the discussion part, you work out people's plan for the week or they work out their own plan for the week, what they're going to do. Then at the end of the meeting, we do a checkout where what did you get out of the meeting for yourself today and what is your plan for the next seven days? And that's it in a nutshell, really. So then they have a plan for the next seven days. And that's why we say, you know, attend weekly. So you can go out, try out your plan, see if it works or not. If it does, that's great. Then you'll make another plan perhaps for the following week. So do you find that people, if they don't execute the plan or execute it badly, do you find that people don't come back if, or are reluctant to come back if it's failed? Well, I make it very clear to people because I do know, well, number one, when people say they plan out loud, a lot of people say it's good because it's making them accountable and they want to come back next week to say, oh, um, my plan worked, whatever it was. Uh, But I also know, on the other hand, some people feel as though they have let me down, the facilitator, because their plan hasn't worked. So I make it very clear that people set plans that may not always work out. So if it doesn't work out, come back next week and we'll tweak, tweak the plan and, and work out what interfered with the plan not working. 
So we do not want it to be a punitive thing. We want it to be a learning experience for them. Yeah. So do you actually teach the cognitive behaviour therapy approach? Yes. Yes, we do. So, again, it's, you know, challenging people's beliefs. It's looking at people's triggers, urges, those sorts of things. So when people, when we were doing face-to-face, like people would come to my group and they almost knew what questions I was going to ask them because they were getting the hang of CBT. And when we use cognitive behavioural therapy, it's on a very simple level. It's not... You know, you don't need a university degree to use CBT and we don't want it that way because then it will go over people's heads and they'll think this is not for me. Yeah. So what other tools do you use? It would be the cost-benefit analysis, which is the weighing up the pros and cons of things, anything really it might be around their substance use it might be around their relationship it might be around anything at all looking at the abcs which is the activating event the trigger what is the belief around that trigger and the consequence so what of what often happens is that with that trigger the activating event, people spend so much time trying to change it, but you cannot change the trigger. The trigger is there. It's done and dusted, but it's how you think about it is going to determine the consequence to that. And that takes a while for people to come to understand that, that they cannot change the trigger. Mm. The other one is that sometimes at at 12-step meetings you get a disruptive or difficult person so I'm sure that has happened at smart recovery as well so how do do you cope with people who who don't get it or won't participate in a way that is helpful well we have a set of guidelines so it's most important that those guidelines are read out at the beginning of every meeting because that's the safety net for the facilitator but also for the participant. If someone is rude or not participating, then you can say, remember, you know, refer back to the guidelines. I have to say the people, most people come participate in the meetings. The people that don't so much are the people that have been recommended to come by their lawyers Uh, because they've got into a bit of strife or corrections have mandated someone to come to Smart Recovery and they don't want to be there. But, again, they need to be signed off that they've attended that meeting. So we change it from attendance to attendance and participation. So it wasn't good enough just to sit there sort of snarling but you have to participate in the group and also it's mutual aid so you're in that meeting to help other people as well yeah and then really if worse comes to worse and they're so bad then you can ask them to leave the meeting yes yeah i guess in zoom also you can block them put them out if you think they're yeah non-compliant yeah so participants can become facilitators as well So we have uh, guidelines around that. And even though we're not an abstinence-based program, we want the, if the participant wants to become a facilitator, they need to have their behaviour under control for about nine months. And really the, the part of that is because we don't want 
like if your meeting is a Monday night and you've had a huge weekend drinking and are so hungover on Monday you can't, you know, attend the meeting, that's not a good look at all. And so we get some people are interested in it and then they will be put through the training to become a facilitator. Mm. So if you're a peer, we have a reduced rate for the training for years that have come through Smart Recovery. Yeah. So also, do you find you there's people who want to volunteer in the organisation to help it by becoming facilitators? Yes. Yes, we do. And how, how do you handle them? Um, well, I should I should clarify that actually. We don't have volunteers just coming off the street saying, I want to get involved in smart recovery. But there are more people that have come, they're participants in the program. They really like it. They feel that they're well into their recovery and want to give something back. But it also helps them maintain their recovery as well. Mm. And I also understand that institutions can become facilitators and run their own groups as well, like in hospitals and uh, other facilities. That's become more and more in the last years. So big organisations have taken Smart Recovery on as part of their program. So there's quite a few NGOs like Mission Australia, Salvation Army, all around the countryside. Okay, and so is that a sort of a, so the facilitator would be a professional in that sense? In that sense, they would. Yeah. Yeah. And how do they find it as far as being helpful to the services they run? Oh, very helpful. Like we haven't had any negative feedback around it. The problem is wanting more groups but not having the resources to do that. Yeah. So it's a free program. Then how does it? How does it run? How is it funded? Uh, by a, We've had a private benefactor who has financed us where we got um, money from the federal government for COVID to set groups up online. Yes, that's we're not um, oozing money out, that's for sure. No. <laughs> we wish, but no. But it's certainly free for the participants to come. And then we also make money by training facilitators because they have to pay to become facilitators. Yeah, I'm sure you're not making a huge amount of money out of that, though. That's that's right. (laughs) Right. So it's been going for for 16 years then. So what sort of things have you noticed over those, your involvement for 16 years in, in the changes in the way Smart Recovery has been able to help people? Well, when Smart Recovery first started, we we came from, as I said, America, and then we wanted to set it up in Australia. So it was just in Sydney to start with in New South Wales. So we actually got a grant, $250,000, to set up 40 groups just in New South Wales drug and alcohol. So in that time we set up, I think, 39 or so nearly double what we were supposed to. But then it was a one-off funding. So this is when the private benefactor came into it. 
so what we did then is we became we moved out of St Vincent's because we didn't want to be attached to any particular organization moved out of St Vincent's became a non-profit organization and that's when we also opened it up to all addictions not just drug and alcohol and that that certainly opened a lot of doors for people then and that's when we started these other programs as well so it's certainly grown and and developed we got more staff as well. We also started a research advisory committee, and so that's going very well. We have our own here, but we also have a global uh, research advisory committee because Smart Recovery is all around the world now. So that's very helpful. And the other change I'd say is that we've got a digital person, so we do more media, we do more like manuals, videos, all that sort of thing. So that, that's been a great boon as well. Yeah. Oh, yes, you were going to tell us about the family and friends one that's opening up. So do you want to give us some details on how people can find out about that eight-week program? Yes, yes. Well, it's starting on June 15th. We're trying to get people with the person that was using methamphetamines, but if they don't have a methamphetamine problem, any issue is fine with that. And Angela Arjun is the person to contact, and her email address is a. Argent, A-R-G-E-N-T, at S-R-A-U dot org dot A-U. So that's A dot Argent at S-R-A-U dot org dot A-U. Okay, thank you. If anybody who's listening would like to find out more about Smart Recovery Australia, uh, you can see their website, which is smartrecoveryaustralia.com.au, for more details and details of local meetings and contact information. I should give you our phone number as well. The office okay. phone number is 02-9373-5100. Thank you. That's about all we've got time for today. Uh, so I'd like to thank Josette Freeman of Smart Recovery Australia for joining us and explaining how the Smart Recovery Program works. Thank you very much, Josette. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Uh, I hope you'll be able to listen again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from gambling addiction and we'll be joined by a member of Gamblers Anonymous. Thanks for listening. Uh, Stay safe. Stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep us going for another year. Independent community media is more important than ever, and we need your support to power community radio. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au, call the station on 03 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR Community Powered Radio. 